The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Fifth Sundays is my Sunday to give pastoral prayer, which I'm delighted to do because there's two things um, that I really want to bring before the church to pray with me for pastoral prayer. Every time is our way of praying for things that we see in our city, in our nation, in our world, knowing that as a church, we are not helpless when we read the news, uh, whether that is uh, things happening in your backyard or things happening around the world. We're not helpless because we have a God who is over all things, and we can come to him, and we can let him know what we're seeing, let him know our needs. We can cry out to him, we can grieve, we can celebrate. And two things specifically that I want to pray for as a church is for the second week in a row, I want to lift up the Houston family. Craig Houston is a local pastor, and they lost uh, their little boy a couple weeks ago, and um, their family, they had the memorial on Friday, and it is um, a typical, typical that, that people are walking with them for you know, a week or two weeks or three weeks, but while the family still carries this grief, it's easy for people to forget, and I just want to encourage you, if you know the Houston family, to both keep praying for them and both just keep walking with them, keep sitting with them, listening to them, loving them. Um, So that is the Houston family, which we will pray for. The second thing is that over the last couple months, I've been uh, very um, disturbed, grieved over the, the refugee crisis going on. And then the last couple of days with the refugees not being able to enter our country. Um, the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 kept coming to mind where he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And um, I think sometimes we, we drive really hard political lines and so we just feel like we have to respond in one way or another. And I just want to challenge us as a church, what does it mean to be a people that says, come to me all you who are weary? Um, I'm not going to give you the answer for that. I'd love to talk that out with you. Um, what does it mean? What does it mean for the church to be a church, our church and the church of Jesus Christ to be a church that just says, couldn't mean all you are weary. Um, so <clears throat> whether it's just what's happened the last couple of days, but, but I want to pray for this reality that there are people who don't have homes, literally their city and their home was, was blown up right? And they, they no longer have a place to go, and so they're displaced. And, and that's a reality, you know, whether, whether or not you, you want to welcome them here, welcome them into your neighborhood or not. They don't have homes anymore. And we as a church just need to think about that. How do we, how do we love those who um, have no place to go? And so I just want to pray for, for the refugees. There are millions and millions of refugees right now in the world, and I think this is a very um, acute issue. So, um, really not making a political statement as much as I'm just saying, like, let your heart hurt and then ask God what you should do about it. Amen? Pray with me. Oh, Father, we, 
We have seen you. We've been called by you to this place. Not so we can just be pat on the back and affirmed. Um, Not just so you can say, hey, you're doing a great job, but we really want to learn from you. God, we don't always even know what it means to be human. Uh, I think we're still figuring out how you made us and, and what you're calling us to when you invite us to be your kids, to be the people of God. God, I pray that you will stir our hearts and maybe disarm our defenses this morning so we can just hear your word and be challenged by it. God, we pray for the Houston family. We pray as they grieve. We pray that those around them will listen and won't give offhanded comfort that is well-meaning but, but isn't, isn't maybe what they need right now. God, I pray you'll put wise people around them. I pray you'll put long-suffering people around them who will just walk over the long haul with them. They'll be surrounded by you and blessed by you. We pray for refugees, both those who have recently been turned away um, from entering the United States, but those who are entering other countries are just figuring out where they will go because they no longer have a city or a home. People who are probably a lot like us, they just were going about their business and conflict arose and to figure out what to do with it. God, a lot of these countries are are (laughs) 99% Muslim. A lot of them have never heard the name of Jesus. We pray that in this time of crisis and turmoil, you, the Prince of Peace, will make your peace known, a peace that the world can't take away by a bomb. Um, God, we pray this. We are praying for a miracle when we pray this. We pray that we will see your people emboldened, both people of Refuge Church, but your people all around the world to love compassionately, to open their arms, open their homes, to be generous, to be courageous, to not just turn a blind eye because we have a place to sleep tonight, but to grieve. God, show us what to do with this grief. Show us how to cry out to you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So, We are in the fifth and final week of our Path of Mature Disciple. Path of Mature Disciple is not a sermon series. It's not a one and done. It's not something that we wanted to go through and then say, hey, remember when that happened. Path of Mature Discipleship is something that will forever, by the grace of God, change the refuge church. That, that there, if there's one thing we do, we want it to be this. That we are a church that are disciples who are making disciples. Now, I know that word can seem really cryptic to some of you. When you hear the word disciple, maybe if you have any familiarity with the Bible, you think of these, these 12 guys that kind of befuddled their way through following Jesus for three years, made a lot of mistakes, and then turned out to be the heroes, right? And you're like, oh, okay, like, that's a, I, don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm that. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, path mature discipleship was our way of showing you that we have a clear idea, clear definition, this is what it means to be a disciple. So let me walk you through that. And, and please take that, that booklet home that we made and go through it. Go through it monthly. Go through it daily if you need to. This is what it means to be a disciple. The first 
step of being a disciple is to commit to following Jesus. Commit to following Jesus. The disciples that we know of as Peter, James, John, the rest of them, they heard Jesus' call, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, come follow me. And they simply dropped everything that they had and wholeheartedly committed to just walking behind Jesus imperfectly. But they knew from that point on, it was him that they were following. And that, that's the start of what it means to be a disciple. But, but that's only the beginning. And we, we say maturity here because when you become that follower, literally what you become like is like a, a baby, like, like just going, I need a lot of help and support, right? Like that's, <laughs> when you commit to follow Jesus, literally you, it says you are born of God at that point. And so you need to mature. So the second part is growth, growing in your faith. And Colossians says being rooted and established. Right? And so what that looks like is to be people that start thinking the way Jesus thinks. Just because you commit to following Jesus doesn't mean you're thinking the way Jesus thinks yet or loving the way Jesus loves. Right? Your, your heart and mind hasn't been conformed completely to the image of Christ. And so you want to be growing into that, maturing in your faith. The third is gathering together. So you've been, you've been saved from a life of sin and being alone, being separated from the life of Christ into the life of Christ and the family of God. This is literally called the body of Christ. And you're a toenail. Okay, maybe some of you, maybe you have the nobility of being like an ear. I don't know. I just feel like the toenail sometimes. Like, like you are part of, of the body of Christ. You were not saved just to be your own little Christian alone. You were actually brought into a family. You have brothers and sisters. It feels dysfunctional sometimes. Right? Remember when we talked about that and we said, you don't get to choose your family. It's the family of God. Right? And so you're meant to gather and grow alongside those people to love them, give yourself to them, let themselves give themselves you learn to be in an interaction spirit talking to spirit as you communicate with one another the fourth thing is to give radical generosity that that god so loved the world he gave his only son god so loved he gave his best and then we go thank you i think i think i have something in the back i can get you god <laughs> right and we're like we bring out things and we're like, here you go. No, God gives his best to us and so we give our all to him. Not 10%. That's not, that's not generosity. That's not bad. That's, that's not even like bad generosity. That, God gives his best to us. It says in Romans 8 that if he gave us Christ, how will he not also give us all things? So he's given us all things. Literally, it says that like, like it's like we get to climb up on the throne with him in heaven. Like all things, you've been adopted. And so now we get the joy of giving our all to him. Not just a part. Don't think of a part. Give your all to him. That's the life of a disciple. And the fifth and final thing that we're going to talk about today is invite. And this was one of the big compelling, compelling factors of of making a path of mature disciple because I heard this one statistic. 
This one statistic changed me. And it is this, 95%. I want you to remember that number, 95%. 95% of Christians will never see someone come to know Jesus because of their personal testimony, them sharing their faith in their entire lifetime. 95% of Christians will never see someone else come to faith in their entire lifetime because they have been generous with their faith because they have told someone else, come see this God who so recklessly loved me that he gave his only son and I want more than anything for you to share in his life with me. See, in Matthew 28, Jesus, who had <clears throat> lived a life that at times had some highs, a lot of people followed him, but at the end appeared like a failure, gave his life to the very end, and he, he was crucified on a cross. And he died. And yet something incredible happened. On the third day, he rose again, and when he rose with power... He gathered those men who committed to following him and he said this to them. He said, people of this earth haven't given me any power. It's kind of the context here. And he says, but all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All the power of God Almighty is mine. So go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And those people, track with me here, those people went and did that very thing. They went back to Jerusalem, and 120 of them gathered, and they remembered the words of Jesus that he had said when he says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised which you heard me speak about, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And that word witness there is the word martyr. You will be my martyrs throughout Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you know what happened? That is exactly what happened. No one believed in the name of Jesus other than this motley little crew of people just praying that the Holy Spirit would come and give them power so they could go out and change the world. And in Acts 17, 6, this is what people say to them. This, the context of Acts 17, 6 is that, that some of the followers of Jesus have been dragged into, think of CenturyLink Field. Is that still what it's called? Yeah, it's, okay, it was like Quest for a while. Okay, so they've been dragged into the middle of CenturyLink Field, and there's a mob. Literally, they're in this coliseum, a mob. And the person gets up with the microphone, and he says, these men have turned the world upside down. That's discipleship. The world being turned upside down, because, because these men and women, the 120 who started praying and the Holy Spirit came on them and they went and they started talking about Jesus, the whole world changed. Because of the power of their message, they proclaimed who the risen Christ was. And they invited people 
to follow him. It wasn't a 95% thing. It was like a 100% thing, right? And they were all in, and they were going for it. And the world is fantastically different today because of that. You know the name Jesus because of that. Because these people courageously obeyed. The context for the passage we're looking at today is I want, to, <clears throat> I want to show you what it meant for Paul to invite people to follow Jesus. Um, Acts 17 was when they were accused right, of the, the world getting turned upside down because of them. Acts 18, Paul travels to Corinth. And this is, this is the city of Corinth that he's now writing a letter to. The city of Corinth um, <clears throat> was a really hip place. right? Think of like, Denver, San Francisco, or Seattle. Everyone was wanting to move there, okay? Everyone was wanting to move there because they had a lot, their economy was thriving at the time, and they also had an an incredibly large temple to the the goddess Aphrodite, right? So Aphrodite was the goddess of, celebrated as the goddess of love and fertility, and there was a historian in the year 20, so a little bit before this, probably 40 years before this was written. And then the historian said that there was over a thousand temple prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite, okay? So, so this, this city, the city of Corinth, is cray-cray, right? So you think that Kitsap County is bad. And, and I, I, we hear this all the time, like, oh, Kitsap County is like the sixth most unchurched place in the nation, like, we've got it hard here. You don't get it. Like, I can't talk to people about Jesus here because it's Kitsap. Right? <laughs> like, like, Kitsap is like Chuck E. Cheese compared to, to Corinth. <laughs> Corinth is wild. And, and so Paul is going, but the amazing thing, this is a very unique thing, when Paul goes to Corinth, have you heard of, um, uh, gosh, what are their names? Uh, see, this is, this is when I try to pull out facts from my head. A couple who love Jesus, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Yeah, they were in Corinth. <laughs> Priscilla and Aquila were already there, and there was actually a church there. So Paul typically went to places where there wasn't a church yet, but there already was a church there. And, and so he went, and then he stayed there for a while, and then he would write letters to them. Okay, and so this is what he wrote to them. <clears throat> Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I feel like we have to stop not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. There are four things I want to point out here in in preparing you to invite people to follow Jesus with you. And the first is this, that we have been given, <clears throat> that we have been given a mission. So there's, there's a great difference between a membership and a mission. Okay, and this can be confused. Sometimes we treat being a follower of Jesus sort of like a membership. So think of, Think of your Costco membership. How many of you have Costco memberships? Wow, there's like, are you guys just ashamed of that? Because uh, the first gathering was like, <laughs> Sarah's really proud of that. It was like 80%. I was a little disturbed. Okay, so we're just going to talk about those people then, since we're all on the same. <laughs> so Costco memberships, you pay and you get a little card. So, uh, when I lived with my, my old roommates, Nate was a Costco member, and, uh, and he put me on his Costco membership. And so it was like a true story of redemption, right? He paid the money, I got the membership. And, and so I, I got a card, and, and whenever I wanted, I could, I could use it, right? There was no, I, didn't, I wasn't forced to go. But when I wanted, I could go, and I did whenever I ran out of the one-gallon thing of mango salsa or, or the, you know, 18 patties of salmon. Uh, the salmon patties and, and mango salsa was all I went there for, right? <clears throat> and that was a membership because there was, there was really no obligation. I would just kind of pay my dues, and, and I could stay a part of it, right? And sometimes we treat Christianity like that, we treat it like it's a card that we kind of put in our pocket and we get amenities, right? Kind of the best is that like we get to go to heaven in the end, right? And then sometimes when we have a great need, we can pray and maybe that need will be met, right? That's, that's a membership view. Well, <clears throat> when you committed to follow Jesus, you were given a mission. How many people, when you think of the word mission, you think of this? Should you choose to accept it? <laughs> right? Mission impossible. Should you choose to accept it? Should you choose to follow Jesus? You are given a mission. It isn't just something you kind of like check in and check out, get your salmon patties when you want them. This is something that, <clears throat> that literally you were given a starting point. Today is the day you've been saved. You've been rescued. You've been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light from being alone to reconciled to God. You are a new creation, right? You were given a starting point, and then you were given tools, and then you were pointed in a direction, right? The tools are, think of, think of the armor of God. You were, given, you were given the sword of the Spirit, right? You're given all these things that will help you 
in doing this mission God has given you, what is that mission? What direction has he pointed you? And here, he says this. This is what Paul says. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. And and the verse right before it, he said, one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And he was like, we're we're filled with fear because of that. Um, Fear the Lord. We try to persuade other people. We try to persuade other people. This is the mission that you have been given is to persuade others to follow Jesus with you. Right? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And, and that can, that can kind of rub us the wrong way. Like, what? Persuade other people? That kind of sounds like you use car salesmen. Like, I'm not into that. Well, well, this is what we are persuading people. I'm just going to consolidate this for you. It is this. We're consolidating people. We're, we're, we're persuading people to follow Jesus. Why Jesus? This is the answer. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Okay, you guys, some of you have heard this so many times, but just, are you picking up this? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why do we persuade people to follow Jesus? Because no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. In Acts 16.31 it says, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Why do we persuade people to follow Jesus? Because if they believe on his name, they will be saved. The third reason is this, that Jesus is God, not just a representative of God. You and I, we're representative, we're ambassadors, it says. Jesus is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us, come to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we can be brought back into complete relationship with God. Jesus is very God of very God, coming to atone for our sins so that you and I, that our sins will not be counted against us, but that we can be brought back into relationship with God. Why do we persuade people to follow Jesus? Because of that. Because it's good news. And we want it for everybody. <clears throat> so, so choose, should you choose to accept it? That is your mission I want to deal with the second thing is motivation. So what motivated Paul? Not just because it was true, because sometimes you can share true things out of obligation. But what, what motivated Paul, if we go to, to verse 14, <clears throat> is this. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died What motivated him? Love. It was a love that he had, an incredible, crazy, passionate love for God. So a lot of us are, are silenced because of fears. Right? I, I don't know if I know anybody. I, I guess I'll say, I don't know, maybe if I know anyone at our church, I don't even, I don't, not even me, who just like chats about Jesus. Like, 
You know that guy who's like, like saving people in the bank line? Like, oh, look, it was like $777. That's like God's number. That's like, you want to get saved? You know, like, like there are those people, and I am not one of them, okay? <laughs> We've all met that guy. He just, like, everything it ends with somebody crying and coming to know Jesus. Anyway, we, we, have, we have our own fears and inhibitions. And so I'm going to talk really briefly just about three of those. The fear is... First is the fear of being like the person who talked about Jesus but was really a hypocrite or a creep. Right? We fear about looking like, maybe you've watched the movie Spotlight, which is a devastating film about priests in Boston who, who talked about Jesus and then they were creeps. Right? So we, we fear being associated with that and so we don't talk about Jesus. That's real stuff. That maybe if we talk about Jesus, people just associate us with being hypocrites. And because sometimes too, we know that we are hypocrites, right? Like, man, I wish I was more faithful than I am. And so we, we fear talking about him. The second thing is that it's possible that some of us just fear talking. You don't talk about anything. Maybe because you just you fear people just rejecting you or not listening to what you say. You might not think that people care about what you have to say. Or you might just be a real introverted person. And so there's a fear in speaking. And the third thing is this, a, a fear of changing the status quo. You might think, after all, who am I to tell someone that I'm right and they're wrong? Given all the world views, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, atheism, wouldn't it be prideful for me to share my way as being the only truth. Jesus being the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So these are fears that can, that can creep up. So, so what, what made Paul passionate then about speaking about Jesus? Well, this. That the the love of Jesus compelled him. It says, and he was convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. Guys, if you are not convinced, I'm not asking you to speak. If you haven't committed to following Jesus, if there's like, if there's doubt in your heart, I'm not going like, go talk about Jesus. Paul was deeply motivated because he had been loved by God and it was this overflow of his heart. He wanted to share with other people. Like, I don't know about you, but I was really, it was helpful last week when my dad talked about giving. He was like, if you don't want to give, don't give. Like, how many of us were like, that's the first time I've ever heard that at church. Like, just someone saying, if you don't want to give, don't give. But if you've seen that God has given you everything and you, you want to participate, that do it. Because it's a good day to be able to be radically generous. Right? Like, if you aren't convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, and that your sins are no longer counted against you, I'm not asking you to share. But if you have received the love of God and that has changed you, don't stop that up. Because some of us, when we first gave our lives to Jesus, nobody could shut us up. But then now, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road, like we can't get started talking about him. We don't know even where to begin. Right? So, so how do we begin? We, some of us, our love for Jesus is so personal and we need to learn to make it public. 
And he was deeply motivated by the love of God to do exactly that. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I have to. One of the prophets said, It's like it's burning in my bones. I have to talk about it. And some of us have felt that. And then we go, but no one will listen, right? And we do all these things that like defeat ourselves. And, and maybe no one will listen. <laughs> maybe one person will, right? I heard this amazing story about um, uh, a missionary who was in India. And he, he gave, he spoke with a, a group of Indian youth. And, uh, and he thought it was a fruitless night. He thought no one was impacted. One person that night gave their life to Jesus, and his name was Ravi Zacharias. And Ravi Zacharias has gone out and changed the world. Right? I don't know if you heard Ravi Zacharias speak, but that man's on fire, right? And, and it was, he was the one guy who heard that night, right? To go out and just be faithful, be motivated by the love, and who cares, right? No one, no one listens to you, just, but you're learning to speak, and you're learning to let the love of Christ flow through you. The third thing is this <clears throat> ministry, a mission that is overflowed into a ministry. And ministry is sort of a vocation. And, <clears throat> and, and I want first to address the fact that ministry for a lot of people equals exhaustion. Right? When you hear the word ministry, you've been burned out because you've been a part of something. That, and that's hard. When you're in a ministry, I think we all start by wanting to give everything and then we give and give and give and I think one way to think about it is in John 4, Jesus talks to the woman at the well and he says, he said, those who drink from me, it will become like in them a, a well of living water springing up. But I think a lot of us who are in ministry, we are really good at like dipping our cup in that well and, and passing it out and, and we just forget to drink of it ourselves. Um, and that will lead to all sorts of bitterness and burnout. Instead of being that lover, compelled by the love of Christ, we become a doer. See, when, when Jesus said that all power in heaven and earth has been given to him, so go make disciples, he also at the very end said, and surely I will be with you. See, a lot of times when I heard that growing up, and this was... This was not my parents that communicated to me. It was more of just the culture um, I, I, I was in that, that talked about the Great Commission. It never had the front end on it. It never had the all authority of Jesus part. And it never had the presence of Jesus part. It never had the part that said, and Jesus was like, I'm with you. Because the commission is literally a commission. It's that Jesus is inviting with you to partner with him, to be his collaborator in this. Right, that you are doing it through his power and with his presence. Through his power and with his presence. And we have to be very careful to remind one another of this and to live from this. Are you guys with me here? That we don't do it without his power and without his presence. <clears throat> and you guys, we need to do this together. Like, I need to be reminded of this just as you need to be reminded of this. That we are partnering with Jesus in his ministry, because the ministry of reconciliation, which we see in verse 18, <clears throat> here where it says, all this is from God, all of this being, that verse 17, that 
that you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All that is from God who reconciled us to himself. The word reconciliation there means changed. Changed. The word ministry says that he gave to us a ministry of reconciliation. The word ministry is the word for deacon, which means to serve. And so you've given the service of change. But an easier way to think about it is, is you've given the responsibility of helping people change. Helping people change. So that's so countercultural because what our culture says is that all we should do is affirm people, right? No matter what you are and what you're doing, no matter how much hurt you have or hurt you've caused, we should just tell you, keep doing what you're doing, you're awesome, right? You be you, you're cool, you're amazing, blue ribbon, right? Here's a trophy that says you're awesome. You know, um, I'm exaggerating, but, but the reality is that that we need to change, that we have been in the kingdom of darkness and we need to be brought to the kingdom of the light. We've been alone and we need to be familyed into the family of God. We've been away, separated from the life of Christ and we need to be restored into the life of Christ. That's the change. The old has gone and the new has come and we want to help people into that change and the first people that need to be changed is us, right? You and me, we need to be changed. And so when we invite people, we help people change, it's because you're like, you have no clue how screwed up I am. (laughs) And God in his great mercy loved me. And he's changing me. He's changing me because my instinct is sometimes to say hurtful things. Still. Right? And I do that. And my instinct sometimes is to be silent when I should speak. My instinct, some, right? Like, I am being changed because I'm being loved by a very gracious, very good God. I'm being changed, and I want to invite you into that because I've been so loved by God, and the love of, of God compels me to share this with you. So I'm not just going, stay where you're at, but I'm inviting you to, to come and meet Jesus, persuading you to come and meet Jesus. Is this making sense? The ministry of, of helping People change. Hallelujah, we can change, right? The fourth and final thing is this, that you've been given a message. And here it says that God was reconciling the world himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The word message there is the word logos. So literally a word. He's given us a word of reconciliation. What is this word of reconciliation? The word is this, that God is no longer in Christ counting people's sins against them if they would but be reconciled to God. And this one word, this is so cool. Think of this. This one word is the word that transcends all nations, all races, all languages, all socioeconomic differences, whatever color you are, wherever you live, whether you are poor or rich, this word is for you. All the world, this is the word that needs to be heard. Be reconciled to God.
Because the invitation is there. God is no longer counting sins against people because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because verse 21, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we could be the righteousness of God. This is the word that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, you sitting in a chair right now, you need to hear. The one, this is the one word. This is the word that makes disciples. Amen? This is it, guys. Like, this is what drew you to Jesus, is that God made Jesus, who had no sin, be sin for us, that we could be righteous, that we could be in right relationship with God. Hallelujah. I'm saved. I want you to experience that. That's, I want to invite you to enjoy that with me. Not because I'm perfect, but I'm being perfected in Christ. Not because this last week was great for me, because I had a hard time, and maybe I even hurt people this last week. But, but I am, that God is, is making him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for me, that in him I can be received. And, and that is the message that, that crosses every single divide that we make. Isn't that amazing? There are three ways that, <clears throat> that we want to just invite you guys to, to invite people. And the first is hospitality. Hospitality. It didn't seem like left field. Like oftentimes we talk about evangelism and missions. The first is hospitality. Inviting people into your home. I met with a, a friend of mine who's a professor at SPU this last week. And he's writing a book on the Underground Railroad. And he talked about <clears throat> these Quaker or Congregationalist families, pastors, who would, would have people, slaves who were running and escaping north, stay in their homes. And in these homes, they would eat meals together. They would read the Bible together. They would worship together. And there's these stories he shares of the these white families, when the slave would come saying, this is your home. Sit at the table with us. Everything we have is yours. Eat as much as you want. This is your home. And it was the first time that they felt human. Because they were. They are. We, they weren't giving them humanity. They were literally just showing them who they were. Right? <laughs> This is amazing. And you can do the same thing. There's people here in this church. There's people in your community that are so alone. Maybe are, are so, uh, feel so much like outsiders that just to be welcomed into your home and, and loved would be so restorative. That would be the love of Christ expressed through you to persuade people how good Jesus has been to you. The second thing is evangelism. And and evangelism, is, we see, is just being this a, a local, sort of national way that we get to, in the States, share the love of Jesus. One way we do that here at the Refuge Church is through the Coffee Oasis. The mission of the Coffee Oasis is to change the world for homeless youth. What does the word reconcile mean? It means change, right? So to change the world for homeless youth means literally we want to see the, the youth reconciled to their community and reconciled to God. And that's our heart, 
And we're learning every week how to do that better. And we want to invite you to be a part of that. Please, please consider that. And the third way, um, we have some exciting new opportunities this year in missions to reach far beyond Kitsap into the rest of the world. And Jordan's going to come up and share with you for a couple minutes about that. I have the incredible opportunity this morning just to share with you uh, what the Refuge Church is planning uh, and how the Refuge is planning to invite you into inviting others to follow Jesus. And we've talked a lot this morning about the incredible heart of God for all people. And that heart transcends Uh, gender, race, economic, socioeconomic status, and that incredible heart for all people. And also the special mandate that we have as followers of Jesus to be intentionally engaged in inviting others to follow Jesus and making disciples of all nations. And so even in this moment, in this special uh, moment in time right now, we want to invite you Uh, very intentionally and specially to go beyond yourself and start intentionally pursuing and inviting to Jesus your neighbors, strangers, your coworkers, your friends, your enemies, your family, and every single person on the streets in Bremerton and in Kitsap County, and in Washington State, and in the United States, and in Mexico, and in Turkey, and in Spain, and in every tribe, and village, and community, and neighborhood, and city around our world, where the gospel of Christ has yet to be proclaimed and taught, and the, and the church has yet to be planted. And we know, though, that we can't just go from zero to 100 miles an hour with this. Our hearts need to be instructed and cultivated, and our passions need to be cultivated together. Uh, And we don't want this just to be a momentary conversation, like a blip on our radar. Like we come to next week or next month or next year, and we we remember today, like this special moment. Like, yeah, I remember when we talked about missions and evangelism and hospitality. That was really cool, but it didn't impact the, the, the way we live. We want, the Refuge Church wants these truths that we're talking about today of inviting others into the kingdom of God to become the fabric of who we are as a church. It would make our lifestyle, it it would change the way we think and the way we do life together with this always on our mind of who we're inviting to be a disciple. And so this morning I'm excited to offer a couple of opportunities uh, to you guys to really specifically engage with inviting others to follow Jesus. And the first is Ignite. Ignite is a monthly gathering. It's going to be in the evenings, and it'll be specifically focused on evangelism and missions. And I'm really, really excited about this. This will be a special time for us all to gather. I really want to pack this place out. It's going to be right here, uh, February 26th at 5 p.m. And from there on out, it's going to be on the last Sunday of every month. And that's going to be a really special time for us 
to really consider and think together through the theology, the theory, and very practically why and how every single one of us have been called into inviting others to invite or inviting others to follow Jesus. So please mark your calendars. There will be food. So if for nothing else, uh, you should come and just have a meal with us and talk about God's heart for all people. So put that on your calendars and join us. Secondly, as you guys came into church this morning, hopefully you were given one of these pamphlets, A Heart for Turkey. Uh, I'm incredibly excited to announce the Refuge Church's partnership with a ministry and a church in Ankara, Turkey. Ankara is the capital city of Turkey, and Turkey is located, if you're not aware, uh, right next to Bulgaria and Romania, kind of as a bridge in between Europe and the rest of the Middle East. And You can read more specifically about the ministry there, but I wanted to take a moment and just tell you why we're choosing to partner with a ministry in Turkey. And this is why. 42% of the world's population, that's roughly 2.8 billion people, have never heard the saving name of Jesus before. There are people on our planet right now who have been born, they will live their entire life, and they will die, and they will not once have an opportunity to respond to or even hear the message that Christ came to save them, and that he loves them, and that he wants them. And... So that that classification of people, the people who have limited or no access to the gospel, we call that unreached people. The vast majority of unreached peoples are found in a block of the world that we call the 1040 window. That means in between the 10th and 40th parallels, right? So right here, spanning from North Africa throughout the Middle East and Southeast Asia, over 99% of all unreached peoples live right there. And so as a church, as we start thinking about how to be involved in missions, that part of the world has our focus because it's an unfortunate reality that 97 out of every 100 missionaries, that's 97% of all missionaries that are sent through American churches, go to the green places. So as a church, we prioritize the, the places on our, on our globe that are totally unreached. And so we talk a lot about being a church for all people, for, a play, for people who feel close to God, but for, for people who feel far away from God. And so these are places on our, in our planet that are literally farthest away from, from that uh, message of, of Christ saving. So... Turkey specifically uh, is 98% Muslim. 98% of that country there uh, has not heard the gospel. There's only 0.2% of that population there who have heard about Jesus and responded to that. And so the church is very, very small and very nominal. So as we partner with this church in Ankara, Turkey, the prayer behind it is that the, the seed of the church would blow up in that region and all throughout East, uh, the Middle East and Central Asia and North Africa, that, that the church would be planted and that Christ would, uh, would be made known. 
And so I want to uh, take this time and introduce to you a friend of, of mine. His name is Ryan Keating, and he and his family, along with a team of people, started the ministry program in the church that we're going to be partnering with in Ankara. So we have a little video of him introducing himself. Good morning, Refuge Church. Thanks for taking a few minutes to look at my giant head on a screen. Uh, well, I talked to you a little bit about Philippus and why I'm excited about the possibility of working together. Um, Philippus Ministry Training Program is a program that equips local believers in Turkey and in Central Asia for ministry at home and in the nations. We were kicked out of Turkey just a few weeks ago, and that's a story for a different day. But when we moved to Turkey 10 years ago, uh, we recognized right away a need for ministry training that focused on character formation. Equipping believers for ministry has to be about more than just teaching people how to preach or uh, how to hold a guitar in front of a crowd. And we have to help them along the process of transformation toward Christ-likeness. That's what truly qualifies a person to, to be a minister. So that's something that happens best in the context of community. A tight-knit body of believers living together, helping one another. So Philippus is a monastic program. Our students take a five-fold vow of prayer, ministry, study, community, and faithfulness. It's a lifetime commitment. And we've lived together with our students these last 10 years. The students have classes in five areas and organized ministry opportunities. One of those ministry opportunities includes uh, a refugee ministry that's been growing and expanding. We're now feeding 6,000 refugees and their families and helping those refugees to gain skills in trades like sewing and doing barista training with refugee ministries. The program also includes business training and experience through a coffee company that we started to do that. It's called Coffee House, and we're training our Turkish students to um, to be baristas and to work in the coffee industry, and we're also doing that training now with refugees to help them have a, a marketable skill that they can use in whatever country they end up in, or even in Turkey, uh, while they live as refugees now. There are some three and a half million refugees in Turkey at the moment, and um, so we've developed a, a refugee ministry alongside of this ministry training program so that our students have organized ministry opportunities. They're learning to be ministers while serving their neighbors and some of those ideas are just some of the reasons why there are so many areas of overlap, why I'm excited about what we could do together. Refuge Church and our team in Turkey and Philippus in Turkey has so many common values, so many areas of overlap. And I'm especially excited about the possibility of doing things together with you guys, um, partly because we need the strength that comes from being connected to the broader body of Christ in the, in the world. We need that input and the resources and the help from people and mobilized prayer. Uh, I think that there are a lot of things that uh, that Refuge Church could be doing to help move forward the cause of the gospel in the places where we're serving. Turkey, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Philippus uh, is now in all those places, plus Tajikistan. And um, in all of those places, we're trying to serve local believers and provide a context for community for them and to serve people in need and also an emphasis on uh, business training and coffee and using the, the coffee company to 
to support those ministry goals. I would love to see a relationship where um, Refuge Church is helping us to raise awareness for the things that we're doing, uh, where they're putting their hands to the job of making disciples in the nations where we're serving and um, helping to bring prayer and resources to places of real need in Turkey and Central Asia and to bring those things to the church's attention in the, in the world. Um, I'm excited about the possibility of uh, having an opportunity to work with you to to be receiving teams, to see people come and, and visit us, and uh, to be sharing information and skills and get some of your coffee knowledge and some of your uh, the ethos that you guys have been trying to build at Refuge Church as a place of belonging, a place of real community. That's just the kind of thing that we want to be building at Philippus as well. So I, I think we have a lot to offer each other, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know Refuge Church and creating space for Refuge Church to come and input and lend their voice and their hands to the things that we're doing in Turkey and Central Asia. If you want to learn more about the kinds of things that we're doing, uh, give uh, give me a call or uh, find me on Facebook. Um, you can talk to Jordan about uh, how to contact me, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. Um, so we're really, really excited in the formation of this partnership with Ryan and with Philippus and, and with the church there in Ankara, Turkey. And right now what that partnership is going to look like is uh, financial. So we're going to be sending um, the, the program $250 a month, which uh, is not a, a, a lot, but it's a great start. And, and as we talk more about radical generosity and what that looks like for each individual uh, our prayer is that that uh, number could increase. But also, as Ryan mentions, uh, the possibility of being able to organize and send teams to Turkey uh, is very much um, something that we're praying and planning towards. And so uh, be praying, uh, be, be thinking about what this could look like in your life. Uh, like Daniel said, you can start today by inviting people over uh, for lunch and, and being intentional with your, with your decisions and how you use your space and how you use your time um, come to Ignite and learn more about the heart of God for all people. And then as we build out this partnership with Turkey, uh, be in prayer for what that could look like in your life. So I'm going to pray for us as we continue worshiping this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, this morning, this incredible opportunity that we have uh, as a church to uh, talk about and be intentional about inviting others uh, into your kingdom. And we pray, Father, uh, for wisdom and guidance and favor as uh, we strategically move about in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and uh, in various countries, uh, building relationships with people. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just begin a work here this morning that would result in your church being planted in places where it is not and your kingdom uh, expanded. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.